I love praying. You know, prayer is powerful. It's one of our core values. And um, your prayer life is one of the things that you should not um, let go by the wayside, that you, you should continually nurture your prayer life because ultimately your prayer life is your relationship with the Lord and your communication with him. It's not some formal thing necessarily that has a memorized way or a form, formulaic way of doing something, but prayer is just communicating back and forth to God, not only just praying to him, but also listening to him because God actually answers prayers. We believe we serve a living God who's alive and well today, and he's a personal God. He cares for you personally. And so prayer is a big core value of ours. Uh, the presence of God's a big core value of ours. Uh, we believe that you can experience God's presence. Hopefully you experienced his presence in worship. Sometimes it comes in the form of just amazing peace that remains upon you. Sometimes it's uh, experiencing, uh, uh, you know, some people call them the Holy Ghost goosebumps. You're like, what is that? It's just, is that air conditioning? I don't know, maybe it's a little cold in here. Um, other than that, uh, people complain to me saying, you know, it's really cold on Sunday mornings. I said, because you gotta do jumping. You gotta dance more during worship, that's all. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, but you can experience God in many ways, but, um, uh, but his presence is powerful, and we believe you can encounter God to be an encounter. And also we believe in uh, uh, transformation, that God doesn't just, uh, uh, it's not just a behavioral therapy, but you actually get literally transformed, that you're moving from a place of glory to glory, and that you would be transformed by his glory. And so we also believe in evangelism, and that the good news is too good not to share. So one of my friends says, almost too good to be true news. It's just so good. And, uh, and so we believe in sharing that gospel with everyone we encounter. And, uh, and so this series is kind of a continuation of these core values. And, and one, one thing we, we've been talking about in our series is this is the Kingdom of God series where we talk about God's kingdom, how his kingdom is not just a, uh, a specific place, but it's where the king's domain, where the king reigns. And what's great about his kingdom is that his kingdom has no end and his kingdom has no boundaries to it. His kingdom can go as far as it needs to go because his kingdom is not about a location, it's about a king and where he has authority and where he rules. And you know, some people in the past have tried to make his kingdom a destination. Like, like sometimes we think that his kingdom is just a place called heaven. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes that's what religion will talk about is, is just a destination. It's, it's about where you're going. But no, his kingdom is not just a destination of heaven. His kingdom's in heaven because he rules there but his kingdom can be in you if he rules there. You see, you can't just expand his kingdom through invading armies like some have tried in the past. That's not expanding the kingdom of heaven. Expanding the kingdom of heaven is actually having hearts surrendered to him, the king. And that's why it's so uh, you know, scary for any other kingdom is that God's kingdom can go past their boundaries because it infects and is contagious because it touches hearts that are beyond boundaries. His kingdom rules with no end. There's no end in sight. That is why a kingdom Christian or a kingdom pastor or a kingdom servant is not territorial in the sense that they need to protect their space or building. A kingdom pastor recognizes that there is enough to go around in spreading the kingdom to people whose hearts are ready to receive it. 
That's why I, I, was, I was meeting with a pastor. He just moved here a month ago and he's talking to me and I'm, I just loved it because it's so hard to get to know some other pastors because oftentimes they're very busy and they're in, they're in their kind of world and, and some pastors you know, won't kind of strategize together. And I, I heard uh, Jesus Gathering has like many pastors. I wanna say 100 pastors coming, representing. Am I somewhere in that ballpark, Rick? Yeah, okay. Maybe more, I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, so there's so many people strategically, you know, uh, maybe sometimes thinking in their realm. And sometimes pastors will just not want to, you know, give away secrets or share things or share thoughts because, you know, they're afraid that they're going to lose people. And I, and I get, and, and they're, they're assigned to shepherd a certain amount of people and, and all that stuff. But I just told this pastor, I said, look, I'm not territorial. I, I just want the God's kingdom to go and move. And if you're for the kingdom, I'm for the kingdom. There is plenty to go around, okay? And, uh, and so I'm excited about that because the inherent, the, the inherent thing that comes with being a part of the kingdom is generosity. Your life should be a life of giving. Your li- the ki- a kingdom culture for the kingdom of God is about uh, a, a culture of generosity, Now, the culture of generosity comes from the seed of receiving. That's why we're so generous, because we've received so much. Jesus says, freely receive, freely give. The culture of generosity should come as a natural or supernatural outflow of your life because you've received so much generosity from God, so much grace. This is a kingdom culture. This was Jesus's message, bringing his kingdom here. Over a hundred times, Jesus spoke on the kingdom of God. It was a big topic. It wasn't just about him coming to remove sin. It was about him coming to remove sin and bring the kingdom of God to earth. That's why he wasn't worried about rulers and certain you know, rulers of different lands. He knew that the kingdom of God had no end, no barrier that it can go into the hardest of nations. It's amazing. Actually, some of the craziest uh, uh, nations that that you would say, man, it's how could the gospel ever get there? And the gospel's on fire. Like, if you understand, the underground church in Iran is experiencing Christ like never before. The, The stories I'm hearing from missionaries and from people from underground churches where they're like, Jesus is showing up in people's dreams, y'all. And they're like, tell me about this man. And the churches are on fire. And you know what? When, when you receive Christ and you're like, man, this might be the end of my life because I've chosen to follow God. It's you are burning for him. You're like someone on fire. I mean, we have this amazing freedom here where we can choose to serve the Lord not. But in, in the underground churches, they're, amaz- they're, they're, they're just on fire. I, I remember talking to Dennis Balcom, who was a, a famous missionary who went to China and, uh, and he would, you know, they would, they would sneak him, you know, hiding under wheelbarrows, you know, in and out of the villages because uh, he was a pacifist. He, he was in the, uh, the war and he just couldn't shoot a gun. So he, he was in the war without any bullets in his gun, you know. I mean, it's just crazy way of, of, anyway. But anyway, so he became a missionary to China because China at one point, and still it's very hard, but are kind of going through this again. They closed the doors, they kicked out all the missionaries. And he, Dennis said that was one of the best things that happened to China in one way or another because it made the church stronger in China. 
The underground church spread like wildfire. When the public doors had to close, the, the Christians that remained were just so hungry for the Lord. He said one of the, one of the villages, uh, they took out every Bible and they burned it or took it away. And the irony is, is that China is like the number one producer and maker of Bibles. Because <laughs> they, they, you know, it's cheaply made and they export it, but they can't import them. You can't import Bibles, you know? Uh, just ironic. But, um, but he told the story of this village, the only book, that they had was one copy of the book of Acts. And he said that this village was never taught by some of the Westerners of what God can't do. They just read about what God did and can do. So when he went and they wheelbarrowed him in, he found a church on fire. Imagine having the only, the only book you had was the book of Acts. What a great book to have. <laughs> Amazing. You see that? You say, oh, this is what happens when you lay hands. But generosity is something that is a, a, a result of receiving something. You can't give what you don't have. You can't, you can't give away what you've never received. And so you need to have some sort of receiving before you can give. You know, Jesus, in, in when, he's, when, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, one of the things that we, we will highlight over and over again is this prayer when the disciples asked him what to pray. In Luke 11, verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. One reason, because it's not just your Father, it's everyone's Father. We come to him together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is so important that we understand that his kingdom is not just invading in heaven. His kingdom is on earth. It's invading earth. It's, 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 it's something that we need to pray. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in Albuquerque as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my workplace as it is in heaven. It's radical, I know. But when you allow the kingdom of God to flow through you, when you allow him to reign in your heart, in the workplace, in your house, in your family, you will see an atmosphere transform. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Not just a sweet prayer, but a strategy of bringing God's kingdom, his rule, on earth as it is in heaven. So if anger and bitterness is not in heaven, it shouldn't be in your home. If joy is in heaven, it should be in your home. If hatred is not in heaven, it should not be in your home. Unless you're hating the Dallas Cowboys, that's okay. When they play the Eagles, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I'm from Philly. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not afraid of the Cowboys anyway. It doesn't matter. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, hate shouldn't be in your heart. It should, it should, it should be like, what? You, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be raining there because it's not in the heavens. It's not his will. His will, as it is in heaven, should be in your heart. As it is in heaven, should be in your home. And then Jesus says something so radical. He, 
He says, give us each day our daily bread, or uh, some translation says, give us day by day our daily bread, or, or uh, other translations say some form of this, but every translation has that word daily. Now this is, I've said this before, and I'm gonna say it because it's worth repeating, because I know that most of you have forgotten it when I said it last, or maybe you haven't been here since I've said this, but, but that word daily is one of the most argued words over the New Testament because the actual Hebrew of that word doesn't exist in the Hebrew language. That word, it just, it, it's the only time the word occurs in the New Testament. You will not find it anywhere else in the, excuse me, in the Greek. You will not find it anywhere else in the New Testament. They have no idea what it exactly means. They just think they know what it means. It's very, it, it's just kind of argued. And, and one of the reasons is it's very redundant. Uh, the original word is called epiosis. And, uh, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong because it's Greek to me. Um, and, but it's basically, what? That was a great, I came up with that just now. Okay. But, but the reality is the word, um, it, it has similarities to, to other words, and it almost looks like that they kind of taken other Greek words and put it together to try to describe this thing. And we've done this in the English, English language, you know, like we'll say something like chillax, which is not a word, but we all know what it means. Chill out, relax, chillax, right? Words are funny like that, right? And it's, hopefully it's not in the Webster's Dictionary, but, but this word daily, um, when, when presented by Kenneth E. Bailey, who is a uh, senior linguist, he's passed on recently, but uh, professor of theology, proposed this. See, uh, Kenneth E. Bailey has a, has a, a, a Syriac language, he's a, a native Syriac speaker, and, uh, and Syriac versions of the Bible were the first translations of the Gospels with the Syriac language. And that word is in there. And it, according to Dr. Kenneth E. Bailey, this is what he proposes. He says that the daily bread doesn't, it's not literally talking about, God, would you give us something to eat today? Because it's, it's a little redundant. Could I have today's bread today? You, it, it's, it's a redundancy that's happening. You never go to the baker and go, could I have today's bread today? I'd like today's bread tomorrow, please. I mean, you don't do that, right? So, so this word daily is kind of weirdly put there, but what it literally means is, is give us this day your bread that doesn't run out. Give us this day the bread that never runs out. And it's not talking about just food nourishment. It's actually talking about how we're nourished is through receiving the word of God. If you do a study on bread, and I won't go there right now, in John 6, it's a great resource to look about it, but Jesus multiplies bread. He goes on a boat. He goes to the other side. There's tons of bread left over. The people from yesterday want to come to Jesus, do the same miracle again. And he says, he says I have bread to give you that you'll never hunger again the bread that never runs out. And they said, give us this bread that we would live forever. And he said, um, he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. One of the most offensive things you could say to anybody that time. 
unless you're a cannibal. But other than that, Roman and Greek, cannibalism was outlawed. Jews, human sacrifice was illegal. And so it was such a hard saying that everyone left Jesus except his 12. And he said, are you gonna leave too? And they said, where can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And so receiving his bread daily is what sustains and nourishes us through every daily occurrence. It allows us to be sustaining and giving and living in his kingdom by being able to receive his bread. Like when, when you go a day and you're not communing with God and you're not actually like listening and hearing and requesting from him, you're, you're living off of yesterday's bread. But every day he gives you the bread that never runs out. Like nothing else will sustain you in your inner being unless his bread, except his bread. Now, everything in the world will try to put that, that hole in your heart, will try to put anything else in there. Like, hey, this will, this will be good for you. This will sustain you. Just listen to this podcast. Hey, this will sustain you. This will be good for you. Just, you know, just constantly, you know, watch this thing. Be, be obsessed about this thing. And then at the end of the day, you're like, man, that never really satisfied me. I'm still wanting, I'm still needing, I'm still in lack on the inside. And, the, and, and that is an example of not communing with God. You have nothing to give away because you've received nothing. Your spirit man relies to be, a, to be leaning and, 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 and reliant on him. You need to be. The enemy's number one goal, if you're a Christian, the enemy's number one goal is to, is to keep you from eating. I've said this before and I'll say it again. My friends who are Christians who are like, man, I'm just numb inside. I just, nothing works for me anymore. I've, I've listened to Reckless Love a hundred times. It just doesn't give me the goosebumps anymore. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, you know, so I just like to, I just like to watch football all day. Or I like to, whatever. It doesn't have to be morally wrong what they're doing. They just, they're so distracted. They're so not into communing with God. And it's because they said, well, I just don't feel them anymore. I'm like, when did you stop eating? See, the kingdom of heaven is upside down. The more you eat, the more hungry you are. When you, when you have his daily bread, you're always hungry. You're always like, man, I want more. When you become a Christian, newly saved, it's one of the things that just innately is, is in you. It's like, I just want more of his word. I just want to read. I want to hear a message. I want to hear God. I just want to pray. And the enemy, if he can convince you to stop doing that, you stop having hunger. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the same place you were, or maybe even in worse. See, there's a symbiotic relationship between receiving daily bread and generosity. And symbiotic is just a, a, a fancy word to say one depends on the other. You can't have one without the other. It's symbiotic. Just like breathing, you can't breathe out unless you breathed in. You can't breathe in unless you breathed out. It's symbiotic. Just like Receiving grace, right? We receive grace, and out of that grace, a grace and salvation, we worship. Grace and worship is symbiotic. Where there is no grace to be breathed out, there is no worship to be breathed out. 
There is no grace, grace to be breathed in. There is no worship to be breathed out. If you've not received freely, you won't give freely. I, I've been around people who are, who, and, and, and I'm sometimes one of them, but you know, where it's so obvious that they have no grace for anyone. And I just say, man, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, you probably have not received much grace in your life because you have no grace for anyone else. Self-evident. When people are unkind, I would dare to bet those because they were unkind, they were treated unkindly at a significant point of their life. But when you've received his grace, when you realize how mad of a sinner you are and how much God's forgiven you and how much you have uh, uh, now been accepted, grafted in, a whole new start, a brand new canvas, you've been called back to your original purpose, now you have a lot of grace for people. Because it's like, how could I? Jesus said like, you have to forgive people because I forgave you. If you don't forgive people, I can't forgive you. This is, a, this is a symbiotic relationship. You have to forgive. And because when you've been forgiven, it's like, man, how could I hold this against you? I've been forgiven. And in the same way, the kingdom of God is a culture of generosity because we've been given a lot. And because we've been given a lot, we should always have this culture of generosity. Let me read to you, um, well, I'll, I just, I'll say uh, Matthew 4.4, 4, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, was tempted to, to have, be the ruler of the whole world and, and be exalted into high places on earth, the way Jesus defended him was using scripture. And what scripture did he use? He used a Old Testament scripture, he said this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? Because the mouth of God is nourishment enough. What you receive from him in prayer will nourish you. What you receive from him reading his word will nourish you. It feeds your spirit man. And that's why there's a difference between joy and happiness. When we are content in life, we're content because it's from the inside. We have this joy. See, happiness is based on occurrences that happen outside your life. It's very normal. There's days I'm happy and there's days I'm not. I am going and uh, I, you know, whatever. I, um, I got ice cream that day, I'm happy. Um, I got a flat tire, I'm not happy. You know, I'm, that's a natural thing. If people say that they're never unhappy, I'm like, I'm gonna question that and tell me the drugs you're taking. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Or if someone's like, I'm always unhappy, I'm like, well, you know, I, I get that. It might be going through a lot of stuff that's, that's happening in your life. It's circumstantial. Happiness is always circumstantial. But joy is based on something so much deeper that no matter your level of happiness, you are always in a state of contentment because it's based on joy. And joy is based on what you have in him. And this is a radical change of thinking than your own earthly mindset or what the world would consider right thinking because 
it's not bait, because the world's like, you should always be happy. You need to seek your happiness. And if, if you're gonna base your life based on happiness, then it's gonna be a very unpleasant life. I, I read this, this is a hard verse. I was reading this, I was like, oh God, these are hard verses. Let's go to Luke 12. We'll end here in the next 10 minutes. Or I'll have to ask God for forgiveness because that means I lied if I don't now. Luke 12, we're gonna kind of go through quickly this chapter. I'm skipping some verses for time, but I encourage you to read the whole chapter if you wanna even get more context. But someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And most likely, in the Israel culture, Hebrew culture, the eldest got the whole inheritance, okay? So this is probably a younger brother. But he said to him, man who made a judge or man who made a judge or arbitrator over you? Question mark. <laughs> who made me a judge? Sorry. It's miss yeah, I skipped it. Sorry. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. All right. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Look, your father knows you need them. He's not saying these aren't things to need. He knows you need those things. They're not number one in our heart. Instead, seek his kingdom. Seek the king who rules in this kingdom. Seek this kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is good news. He pleases in giving you the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Then verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in, heaven, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. I've heard it said before, there's no U-Haul following a hearst. Other cultures have tried it. Go to Egypt, you dig it up, you're like, dang, look at all this gold. Look at all these awesome things that they decorated themselves. And, and in the Chinese cultures, you'll see like they have warriors and they, they just had this idea that maybe, maybe, maybe we could bring everything we have amassed or attained into the next realm with us. But when you end your life, you find that everything you might have attained means nothing. It is all for naught. Jesus even said in Mark 8, verse 36, he said, what profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. 
See, the enemy will trick you into thinking that all the things that this world is about is really important, but in the kingdom of heaven, it's of naught. Doesn't mean you can't have things, but those things can't own you. That means when God tells you to give something away, you do it out of obedience. You still steward what God's given you, but do it out of obedience. You know, in Acts, they did something radical. It said that they all sold all their possessions and then they just lived off of what everyone needed. Crazy. I'm still working through that one. I'm not there yet. See, in the kingdom of heaven, we walk around with our hands like this. Hands like this. Hands like this are really good. You know why? Because they're not like this. This posture means that I take and I keep. And it seems so good when you're in the receiving end because you get to take and keep. But the problem with the posture of this is that you can't give away when your hands are like this. When your hands are like this, it's like an orphan spirit. It's a poverty mentality. It means I don't believe I'll get anything more. You can only keep what you're holding. And if you can only keep what you're holding, not only can you not give what you have, you can't receive any more of it. But when your posture's like this, where you say, all I have is yours, God. And I'm not just talking about money, guys, please. I, I don't think I said the word money often or at all. I'm talking about other things, your time, the most priceless possession you have. You'll never be able to get more of it. You can't sell it. You can't give it away. You've been given a allotted amount of it, and it's, it's from God. It's the most priceless thing you have. Instagram knows it, and that's why they try to keep you on it. It is, because they're getting money when you, the longer you're on it. It's your time. It's priceless. So Jesus might ask you for your time and say, will you stop for the one? Will you help out that person? And because you're a part of his kingdom and he's your king, you say, okay, God, you do it. Because the kingdom of God is generous. It's not withholding. It's not going, okay, I'm going to give. See, our... Western mindset, when it comes to farming, you know, we kind of do this. We plow the, and we, we have one seed, and we plant that one seed right there, and we cover it up. Then we go to the next one, we plant one seed, and we cover it up. In the Eastern mindset, when the way they did farming, they plowed the whole thing, and then they had a sack of seeds, and they were like this. Everywhere. That's how the kingdom of heaven is. It's so generous because you've received so much. You freely forgive because you've been forgiven. You freely provide grace because you've been provided grace. You freely think the highest and best of everyone that you encounter because he's always thinking about the highest and best of you. Because he always sees you in the atonement, in the covering of Jesus's blood. That's why we get to walk boldly into the throne room of God. Come on, we know this first, right? And if God can see me that way, but you can't see your brother or sister that way, that's a problem. It means that you don't understand that you've actually received a ton of forgiveness and grace. So you have to give it. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's like, you know, you might have been offended. And, and I get that. I get offended all the time. But we got to get over it. Because I have offended God countless times. 
and he's forgiven me each time. And so I have grace for people. So generosity in the kingdom is a principle of giving in love without expected return from that person, but, this is my definition, an expected return from the kingdom. Why? Because generosity produces multiplication. The more you forgive, the more you want to forgive. The more you love, the more you want to love. You're not doing it because you expect a physical manifestation of return. You're not doing it because you say, okay, I'm going to love you so you can love me back. Right? You don't do that. You can, but that's what the world does. I love you if you love me back. No, the kingdom loves generously, which means I'm going to love you even when you don't love me. Actually, I'm going to love you even though you're considered my enemy. Actually, when you slap me on the cheek, I'm going to turn the other one. That's kingdom because it's upside down. From our perspective on earth, it looks upside down, but from heaven's perspective, it's perfect. And I get challenged every day in this area. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I need to repent because I was not generous with my time or generous with my love or generous with my grace or forgiveness or any of that stuff or generous with my money. I've had times where Jesus told me to give people money and I was like, I wonder if that was God. I wonder if that, that might, I don't know. I mean, they might not use it, right? And I'm not just talking about street people. I'm talking about people I know. Like, hey, they're going through something. You should give them money. Man, maybe I should pray on that more and talk to 20 people and then figure out why I shouldn't give them it. And then I'm preaching to myself here. Sometimes I'm good about it. Sometimes I'm saying, okay, Lord, whatever you say. As long as my wife says yes, okay. And I said, I give it. But, you know, that's us giving it together, you know. Half the time I ask her. Half the time I tell her what we did. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of times, look, our church has somewhat of this, but I want us to fully manifest a culture of generosity in our church. I don't want us to ever think that there's an end to what we can do or how we can serve or how we can give. Because give us today our daily bread. Jesus, give us more than enough. Give us what comes and never runs out. People ask me, Paul, how do you have enough energy to minister all these people or, you know, um, have meetings and all that stuff? And I'll tell you what, sometimes it is really taxing. But in me, I know that I've been given much. So I want to be generous with that. And it's a supernatural thing. If you want to live in the supernatural, learn how to give well. I expect the stirring to be fully staffed. (laughs) And and, and all the other stuff. But no, seriously, I mean, just may the Holy Spirit challenge you in this area as we close. May the Holy Spirit challenge you and say, God... How, how can I give more? 
God, how can I be more of a generous person to my wife, my spouse, my family? How can I be more generous to people I don't even know? Lord, how can I give everything like you gave everything? How do I do that, God? How do I love my enemy? How do I bless those who curse me? These are all kingdom examples of generosity. And I'll give you the number one way to do it is to receive. Get alone with God. Listen to what he has to say. Put the worship music on in the car and start worshiping when you're on your way to work. Like surrender your heart to him. Just say, God, what do you wanna do today? He wants to live life with you. Half of us, he's just waiting to live life with us. We've accepted him into our life and we believe we have this ticket to heaven. When we die, we're gonna get to heaven and that's wonderful. But you're missing out on the majority of the reason he came, to pour out his Holy Spirit upon all humanity so that we can live with his kingdom in us. It's powerful stuff. Why don't you stand? just close our eyes so that we would be in a place where we're not distracted and we can focus on the Lord in this next minute. Just close your eyes. I promise if you're visiting us, we will not steal your purse or wallet. I promise. And if they do, we'll, we'll figure it out. We got cameras. But let's focus on the Lord. Holy Spirit, Lord, I want us with me starting first to be a people of generosity. Lord, that we would withhold nothing from you. Lord, that we would give to your church, to your community, to the city, to the family that we serve. Father, that we would love well, that we would forgive well, that we would just be so generous with our time, with our serving. Lord, that we would look beyond our own selves and, and just sitting in our pews and just going home. But Lord, we would just say, God, what else can we do for you? We wanna be a people of generosity. And Lord, open our ears that we may hear you, that we may receive the daily bread, the bread that never runs out, that we would never be running on empty, but we would be so full of joy on the inside, content knowing that you provide for all our needs and that you wanna give the kingdom generously. So Lord, we receive it. May we be people of your kingdom where you rule in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Lord, I thank you for transformation in Albuquerque. Continue to do it in Jesus' name, amen.